The company Uber would like you to know that they're moving forward. They're listening to feedback so they can improve and get better with every trip. They're building new features to take the stress out of your pickup and working on ways to keep you better protected and connected throughout your ride. And you can find out more by going to uber.com slash moving forward. Dahlia Lithwick, host of the Amicus podcast, the most powerful man in America is retiring. What does that mean for America? It's extraordinary. I mean, really, all I can think is that to the extent that the Supreme Court has had a center since Sandra Day O'Connor retired, he was the center. We effectively had a 4-4-1 court. I want to be clear that didn't make Kennedy a moderate or a liberal. He was certainly very conservative. But I think in one area of the law after the other, he was the swing vote. And to the extent that all of that is going to be up for grabs when a new justice is seated in October, uh, there will not be a center at the U.S. Supreme Court, or maybe to put it another way, the incredibly conservative Republican Chief Justice John Roberts now becomes <laughs> the median voter at the U.S. Supreme Court. So it's it's a sea change. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, all the talk is uh, about Kennedy being the most powerful man in America because he possessed the swing power. But in the past few days, we've seen him with the conservative block on on freedom of speech slash abortion on the union case on the travel ban. Is this really the Supreme Court losing its swing vote? What were the cases where he was this major force? Well, I think that, interestingly, the issues that going forward were going to feel his loss uh, were not on the docket this year. In other words, I think that the key areas where he was the fifth swing vote and not a reliable conservative vote were things like reproductive rights. He voted with the court's uh, liberals to uphold the core of Roe v. Wade, uh, for instance, uh, in the uh, Texas abortion case from two years ago, Whole Women's Health. Uh, He voted to uphold an affirmative action program with the liberals. Uh, He has historically voted uh, with the court's liberals to affirm, and this is so important, uh, gay rights, uh, both in Lawrence versus Texas and then most recently in Obergefell, the gay marriage case. And so I think it's very fair to say that those issues on which he was in play, so to speak, uh, were not on the docket uh, this term. Uh, And instead, as you noted, on the cases where we thought he might be in play, no go. He either kicked them back and said, I can't decide these, or in some really striking cases, as you said, public sector unions and the travel ban, he voted in lockstep with the conservatives. Who appointed Anthony Kennedy to the Supreme Court? He was appointed by Reagan in 1988. He was, I guess it's worth saying, uh, appointed uh, in the last year of the Reagan presidency, just to the extent that it, that used to be a thing. What was the makeup of the court then? Did, did he come on as the immediate swing vote or did that establish itself over time? Uh, Yeah, he was not a swing vote because at that point, I think uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was the swing vote. And in all the time that they sat together, he was actually, I think, considered part of the reliably conservative block on the court. And it was, in fact, O'Connor who was seen as the swing vote. Hmm. But when she stepped down, uh, Kennedy really did 
uh, become the center of the court. And as I point out, I think it's it's just worth noticing that the swing vote on the court uh, keeps shifting to the political right so that it went from, you know, in my career covering the court, O'Connor to Kennedy, and now will become, I think, probably predictably, John Roberts will be the moderate center. So I'm not really sure. President Trump has, has fired people via Twitter. How do people retire off the Supreme Court? Is there a formality to it, or or, or do you just send an email, or what? <laughs> I think usually you have a, a formal letter and an announcement. Usually, uh, in my experience, the announcements have happened on the bench, which is why when they wound up the term this morning after they announced the last two decisions and there was no announcement, everyone went, Phew, I think we've got another year of these nine justices. And then uh, within two hours, there was a letter released uh, dated today that uh, Justice Kennedy sent to the president. It begins, my dear Mr. President, this letter is a respectful and formal notification of my decision, effective July 31 of this year to end my regular active service as an associate justice of the Supreme Court while continuing to serve in a senior status. Um, And then he just thanks uh, uh, the president and thanks the court for the privilege. (laughs) You mentioned breathing a sigh of relief. I mean, that's one way some people in this country were looking at this idea of Kennedy staying on the on the bench a little longer. Right. But but I'm sure several Trump voters who voted based on this issue are now celebrating that the president will get another appointment. I just wonder, do we know anything about how Anthony Kennedy feels about the president of the United States? Or do the justices other than Ruth Bader Ginsburg typically keep that information pretty close to the to the vest? It's such a great question. And I think, um, you know, when when Trump first took office, I think I was apt to think of Justice Kennedy as somebody who would be a little bit affronted and offended by Donald Trump. Uh, You know, Kennedy's uh, watchwords that he repeats time and time again are dignity and civility. Mm. He really prizes norms. He prizes institutions. I mean, he really thinks about that constantly. And so, in a way, I thought to myself, Kennedy is one of those people who will be bothered. He will be affronted uh, by a president who not just, you know, is uncivil on Twitter and, you know, mocks handicapped reporters and, you know, talks about predation toward women, but who threatens sitting federal judges, you know, who says so-called judges Mm. and who as recently as this past weekend uh, said, oh, all immigration judges, uh, you know, are corrupt and we should get rid of them and there should be no due process at the border. I would have expected, based on his profile and his character, Anthony Kennedy to balk at that. But I think the two clues, maybe uh, if we work backward, that I was wrong about this are, you know, first and foremost, these words, my dear Mr. President, (laughs) um, which certainly suggests uh, that there is a close relationship there. Uh, But also, uh, I think that it's fair to say that his concurrence in the travel ban case yesterday, where he effectively said, this isn't a blank check for the president. He talked about anxious countries of the world looking on. Uh, But then he more or less said, look, you know, the court is and will be a check, uh, but not this time. This time, there's nothing we can do. The law is the law. And I think that that taken together with this, my dear Mr. President, taken together with this retirement really is a way of uh, giving a profound 
discount vote of confidence uh, to Donald Trump. He is allowing Donald Trump to pick his successor. And bear in mind, Donald Trump has put up people for the federal judiciary who've never set foot in a courtroom, Mm. uh, who didn't know what a motion in limine is. He's put up bloggers. Uh, So the idea that I'm going to sleep easy tonight knowing that Donald Trump is going to replace me is a staggeringly important statement of confidence in the president. And I think if this is the question you're asking, then yes, it's one that slightly surprises me from the decorous Anthony Kennedy that I've been watching for almost 20 years. Donald Trump can appoint anyone to the Supreme Court, one of his sons, his sister, Merrick Garland. Who's he going to pick? That's next on Today Explained. Uber's got goals. One of them is to improve the experience for both riders and drivers. They've been listening to feedback, working on ways to keep you better protected and connected during your ride so they can get better with every trip. And Uber's got trips in over 600 cities around the world. The company's increasing its efforts in community service and partnering with organizations that make a difference. You can read all about it at uber.com slash moving forward. And have you been to netflix.com slash explained? That's where you can find out more about Vox's new TV show on Netflix. There are new episodes every Wednesday, and today's is about eSports. You know the way everyone's watching the World Cup right now? People gather around the screens just like that to watch other people play video games. Millions of people. Some people actually say eSports will be the most watched game in the world behind soccer by 2020. If you're having trouble wrapping your head around that, you're going to want to watch today's episode of Explained on Netflix. When Donald Trump was running for president, he released a list of judges that he might appoint to the Supreme Court if elected, right? He did. It was the first time it had ever happened. Nobody had ever done that kind of signaling. It was always considered unseemly for a presidential candidate or even for a president to say, here's who's on the menu. Uh, But I think it was, in hindsight, a very smart way of signaling to uh, voters uh, going into the 2016 election that he took very seriously Republican voters' prioritization of the court. And he essentially said, I know you think I'm going to put a Kardashian up. I know you think I'm going to put Judge Judy or someone up, but I'm going to put up someone that you take seriously. And he unfurled a list of people who had been vetted and approved by uh, conservative groups who think about judges. And it was a very, very smart way of calling out the message that I'm going to take seriously your values, your priorities, and these are the people I will put up. When you looked at the exit polls after the 2016 election, people who prioritized the Supreme Court as their voting issue broke two to one for Donald Trump, in some part because he had reassured them that he heard them, he got them, he was going to give them what they wanted, and he promptly turned around and gave them Neil Gorsuch, which has proven to be, I think we can say also, at the end of this term, exactly what they wanted. So he gamed this really well. And knowing very little about these potential candidates, is there some unifying judicial ideology there? Is it positions on Roe v. Wade that he's shopping around for? Is it positions on the Second Amendment? What what unifies these people? I think that um, they tend to be uh, judges who uh, across the boards uh, disfavor uh, Roe. I think it's fair to say based on 
the confirmation hearings that we've been watching as they get tapped and confirmed from the lower courts. Uh, some of these judges have been unwilling to say e- even that Roe v. Wade is precedent and was correctly decided. Mm-hmm. But generally, I think they tend to be opposed to expansive views of gay rights, uh, apt to be opposed to affirmative action, apt to be uh, generally more pro-business than not, with a narrower view of what voting rights may encompass. So I think that they look a lot like Neil Gorsuch and Antonin Scalia, who Gorsuch replaced. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of wild cards on this list. You know, people who may turn out to be David Souter, who got onto this list, but will tend to shift left over their careers. I think that the hallmark of the conservative uh, judicial nomination program has been no more David Souters. In fact, the hallmark has been no more Anthony Kennedys. And once in a while, the hallmark has been no more John Roberts. So it's very, very important to have folks who will toe the line. Folks do not get tapped, vetted, and nominated, and then confirmed unless they are pretty staunchly in the mode of an Antonin Scalia or uh, a Clarence Thomas at this point. This might be the most Captain Obvious question I ever ask, but is that to say that no one is interested in a justice having nuance anymore? It's all about picking someone who will toe the line on party ideology in the Supreme Court? Well, I don't know if it's kept and obvious, but I I think I would say it might be Sergeant Naive. Um, If you think about the programmatic effort and the laser focus that the Republican Party has put on the courts uh, in the past few decades, and, you know, to their immense credit, they've been successful and organized in a way that the Democrats have not been. Uh, The laser focus has been to capture the Supreme Court and to capture the lower courts and to never again allow somebody to be confirmed who will, as I said, uh, turn out to be a David Souter. Which is to say that that Souter Souter was tapped by a Republican, but turned out to be a pretty liberal justice on the bench. Exactly. Well, Souter and Stevens are examples of people who uh, drifted so far to the left that when they stepped down, they were the radical left wing of the court. I, I will tell you, interestingly, when uh, John Paul Stevens is asked about that, he says, "I didn't migrate to the left. The court." torqued around to my right. And so Hmm. when I came on, I was center-right. By the time I left, uh, I was far left because everybody who was to the left of me was gone and replaced by people to the right of me. And if you think about the arc of what we just discussed as the center, O'Connor to Kennedy to John Roberts, that actually seems pretty prescient. The court itself is without a doubt moving to the right. But I will say, I think Anthony Kennedy thought of himself as somebody who was trying to be fair, to hear all sides, uh, and to do justice and not just pull the lever for the side that was his team. I think Barack Obama, when he tapped Merrick Garland, really did think that he was tapping someone who was center-left, who would have been slightly to the right of Stephen Breyer, slightly to the left of Anthony Kennedy, and would have been the justice that you're describing. But the politics of the moment said, no, that guy doesn't even get a hearing. Whomever the president picks, 
he or she will be appointed, right, with majorities in in the House and Senate? Well, that's right. The Democrats, in much the same way they couldn't do anything when um, Scalia's seat was held open for more than a year, there's truly nothing they can do. And so we'll be looking to see if some of the moderate Republicans, don't forget three of Trump's judicial nominees for the lower courts have been withdrawn. Again, I think one was a blogger and one didn't know uh, the rules of evidence. So there have been occasions where senators like John Kennedy from Louisiana has said like, no, I just, this is a bridge too far. I cannot uh, support this. And I guess we'll be looking to some of those folks to see if they are going to rubber stamp anyone Donald Trump puts in front of them. But I want to be clear that I don't see a lot of people on this list of 25 on the short list that Susan Collins couldn't pull the lever for. With Ruth Bader Ginsburg being 85 years old, might Donald Trump get to a point three? Absolutely. I mean, Ginsburg has certainly suggested that um, she is not going anywhere. She's going to keep doing the work as long as she can. Uh, Stephen Breyer is the next oldest. He is uh, about to turn 80. Um, And then there were a lot of rumors swirling in D.C. in the last week or two that Clarence Thomas also uh, was getting ready to retire this term to make way for somebody who's 45 or 50 uh, that Donald Trump could get through. So I think the average retirement age for a Supreme Court justice in the last few decades has been 77. So we've just named a couple who are older than that. And what does that mean for the legacy of the Supreme Court, of the Roberts Court, or whatever it's going to be called for the next generation? Well, I think that the legacy will be, and we're seeing it at the end of the term with some really explosive cases. I mean, I cannot put too fine a point on what the Janus decision today will do to the future of public sector unions in the United States, what the travel ban uh, decision yesterday will do for the vision of executive authority in national security matters. Uh, I think that This is a court that is no longer in a posture of mincing along, uh, taking baby steps, minimalist, humble decisions. I think this is a court that is pretty overtly and programmatically um, going to uh, effectuate uh, what the Republican Party has wanted in terms of voting rights, in terms of worker rights, in terms of the environment, in terms of women's reproductive rights and gay rights and uh, the rights of minorities. I I think that it is hard to envision a scenario in which we have anything other than a possibly decades-long, extremely conservative Supreme Court. There's uh, a study that was done uh, by Richard Posner a few years ago that suggests that of the uh, in the last 100 years, four of the most conservative justices who have been seated at the Supreme Court are now sitting. So this court is very, very conservative. I don't think that's uh, an opinion. I think that's a fact. And uh, I think it is in some ways possibly more conservative than the mainstream of the country. But I think that we are now locked into that uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, you're right, long after Uh, you know, the Senate or the White House or the House changes hands. Uh, Those justices are seated for life, 
And so people who are seated in the next term or two who are in their 50s and 60s will be serving on the Supreme Court when our grandkids uh, come into existence. Thank you, Dahlia. Uh, You are welcome. Thank you for having me. Dahlia Lithwick writes about the law for Slate. I'm Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained. Uber is moving forward, listening to feedback so they can improve and get better with every trip. The company's building new features to take the stress out of your pickup and working on ways to keep you better protected and connected throughout your ride. Find out more at uber.com slash moving forward. 